you know, the script worked great on page, but it was quite scary how someone would actually be able to bring that character to life. Uh, and I couldn't think of a better person to do that. And she did it beautifully and, you know, in ways that I could have never, you know, imagined. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2024 Oscars race. And it is heating up, folks. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me again this week, please give a big hello and warm welcome to EW's Oscars expert, Joey Nolfi. Hi, Joey. How's it going? Hello, Jared. I am tired already. Uh, We've got some nominations oh to my yeah <laughs> nominations more tributes and we're looking ahead to the like the 2024 calendar in january and february and half of march are packed with award shows oh, yes they and, are yeah um so i know we're tired now but we will get through it we still have three more months we'll uh we'll all keep giving each other <laughs> boosts of uh, awards um adrenaline i suppose is that what yes. it is yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, well, let's get to it. Yeah. Hot off the presses. Film Independent Spirit Award nominations were revealed Wednesday. Sometimes there's overlap with Oscars. Let's run through the top categories. Uh, well, let me tell you mm -hmm. the top nominees first. American Fiction, May, December, and Past Lives all scored five nominations. They got the most of any. Um, all of them got a uh, Best Feature nomination alongside All of Us Strangers, Passages, and We Grown Now. Uh, let's talk about that category first. Um, I feel like those three, American Fiction, May, December, Past Lives, are obviously definitely part of the Oscars Best Picture conversation. Um, all of Us Strangers, I would love to be part of the Oscars conversation. Um, passages, I feel like is... Do something interesting is going on with passages. Do you are you seeing? Oh, it, it? is popping up. Right, it is popping up. Um, as you can see in our uh, new scoreboard that we have, yeah. uh, that just went up on ew.com. Everybody should go check that out. We're tracking who's winning and losing these awards on the circuit so far, and passages is definitely popping up, especially for uh. I th but how do you say his name? Franz, Franz Rogowski, Rogowski is yeah. the lead actor. Uh, he has been uh, nominated for. A few things so far. Passages yeah. is now showing up uh, as we're seeing best feature for the indie spirit. So I think Passages is definitely one to watch out for. Um, I also think I am now kicking myself for when we did our FYC issue. <laughs> uh, I had all of us strangers on my best picture predictions list and I took it off at the last moment. Oh. And I am as I'm structuring our predictions post that should be on EW.com shortly. I'm going to put it back in there. I think that all of us strangers is if it was just showing up in you know, the feature categories, yeah. I would say otherwise, but I mean, here it's in best director, supporting performance, lead performance. Yeah. So I think it's, and even though again, Indie Spirits is a mix of people, like literally anybody can pay the yeah. Indie Spirits to be part of their voting membership. Yeah. It does, you can look at this as it's a large voting base and it's consensus appeal. So mm -hmm. also past lives is showing up. Uh, in yeah. all the right spaces that it needs yeah. to so far. So I know we were kind of doubting that one at the beginning of the season. Like, uh, is it? Is it not? Uh, I think that you can definitely see Steam picking up for that one too. And I'm so glad. So that might actually end up being A24's biggest play over Zone of Interest, which isn't showing up anywhere. Yeah, at all. I think I think it's just too heavy of a, a watch for people yeah. right now with everything going on, uh, you yeah. know, in the Middle East. It's um, yeah, it's it's just hitting too close to home. Um, yeah. But, you know, you, you said you had removed all of us strangers from your for, from your final predictions uh, list for that issue that's coming up. But that's what's so interesting about the award season is that there is an ebb and tide of flow to these things. Um, and, you know, oh, yes. one minute a movie is up, the next minute it, you know, completely can lose steam. Um, but but what I'm seeing with all of us strangers in past lives, and I guess apparently with passages as well, is that they're playing a really uh, like slow and steady game and getting out in front of the right people. And these different bodies are are saying, hey, dude, look over here, look over here. Well, much like Ketchup Entertainment, it's also <laughs> who did get in. Yeah, Jessica Chastain got in for memory. Yeah. Uh, I 
it's also the distributor is like an untested distributor too. It's Mubi. Mubi is the distributor for passages. Yeah. And it's, they are making this thing. Let me tell you, they are making it readily available. Yep. They're not waiting for like discs to send out. Like it is like link is in your inbox when you need it. So like, I mean, it, they're making it very easy for people to see this. I imagine it's also, they're making it very easy for voters yeah. to see this. So I would not be surprised if this becomes the sort of dark horse of the season. I, I think that SAG, if they got through to SAG and we see friends show up at SAG, uh, I think that'll be the true test. If it doesn't show up at SAG, I don't think it's going to go much beyond that. But one thing I think we can see in this category that I do predict uh, SAG will go for is May, December. I'm so glad to see. Yeah. I, that was another one I was hesitant on whether uh, voters would embrace it or not. But the, the, the one movie that I am kind of still scratching my head over why people are so in love with it is American Fiction. I mean, I think it's a decent film. I just don't know. I mean, watching it, I was just kind of like, huh. I, I, I was surprised that it won the TIFF People's Choice Award. I did not think it was that broadly appealing of a film. Did, so did you we'll see, see it at TIFF? Or... No. Okay, so no, I saw it after TIFF. Got yeah. it. And you you did see it with an audience? Were there, were there many people? Yeah, it was pretty crowded, oh, actually, at the press screening okay. of that. Yeah, because yeah, the first time I saw it, it, there were just, I think, three or four others in the screening room. Uh, and I saw it again uh, this past weekend, and there were a lot more in there. And uh, that's when I was like, oh, this is why it won TIFF. The, the reaction uh, from the audience, they were so into it. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it has some some interesting commentary um it does yeah, yeah that is i mean yes i i just don't know that the filmmaking is necessarily there i mean i, th- I think that we have seen a lot of really strong commentary on subjects like this done in other ways that that just feels a little bit stronger from like a creative standpoint than this one did. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad film. Right, I don't right. think it's a middling film mm-hmm. by any means. It's a, I think it's to me like, you know, the favorite Joey Nolte phrase, like it's a solid seven out of 10 film. Mm. <laughs> and like, oh, I'd give it more than It's that. a good film. Uh, it's okay. a good film, but it's, yeah, it's well, not, it didn't necessarily blow me away. Maybe it was just the hype machine hyping it up too much in my mind. And uh, that's inevitably that's, always going to make something. I have definitely fallen up, victim but, to that before. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, with American fiction, you mentioned, obviously we said best feature, but yeah, uh, uh, we have Jeffrey Wright in there for lead performance and then supporting both yeah. Sterling K. Brown and Eric Alexander. Those were the surprises to me. Yes. Yeah, well, Sterling, sure. uh, Sterling, I'm seeing him climb. He's in great. The, yeah, he's great. And he's climbing in the, um, you know, like the odds charts um yeah. right now yeah. so uh I, i'm gonna be keeping an eye on him as well um i, wanna, I think i'm ready to put him in yeah actually it's it's i think it's quite possible i want to run through quickly mm-hmm. uh we've mentioned some but the lead performance nominees uh this is by the way gender neutral categories here acting categories uh spirit awards jessica chastain for memory greta lee past lives trace lizette for monica natalie portman may december judy reyes birth rebirth franz Rogowski passages andrew scott all of us strangers tiana taylor a thousand and one jeffrey wright american fiction and then tao you for past lives as well the lead actor in that film uh for supporting performance uh eric alexander and sterling k brown for american fiction noah galvin got in for theater camp uh (laughs) you're you love her and hathaway for eileen (laughs) yeah obsessed glenn howerton for blackberry marin ireland also for eileen charles amazing yeah yeah, uh, Charles Melton for May, December, no surprise. Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. God, I love her. Uh, Catalina Saavedra for Rotting in the Sun. And then Ben Wishaw also for Passages. And the two call-outs that I want to make here are for an, another person that we've seen show up pretty regularly on the Precursor Circuit so far is Tiana Taylor yeah. for 1001. Yep. Um, I think she could be a big spoiler here. Maybe not even a spoiler. I mean, since people are are pretty seem pretty consistently voting for her, yep. I think it's going to take, a SAG, again, a SAG nomination mm-hmm. for, to push her over the top because so far it's been groups that don't have crossover in the actual industry. And then I also think uh, we need to pay attention to... Um, well, Anne Hathaway, I do think that Anne Hathaway, just because the role mm. is so different for her, mm-hmm. I think she could also, and I think SAG is going to eat that role up. So if they get it in front of SAG, I think Anne Hathaway actually is in. Yeah. 
Uh, Davine Joy Randolph, yeah. I think, is the front runner here. I think she's been showing up the most consistently. I think she's the front runner for supporting actress right now. Charles obviously is the front runner for May December for supporting actor. And then I also think we should be paying attention to the uh, performers in. All of us strangers. Too. Yes. I believe 100%. that Andrew Scott could creep up. Oh my God. I love that movie so much. So, so much. Um, uh, elsewhere, uh, we, you know, we mentioned all of these uh, honors and other winners um, being announced. New York Film Critics Circle also announced its list. Uh, I'll run through that here quickly. Best film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Best actress, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Here he is again, best actor, Franz Rogowski for Passages, and then supporting names that keep popping up, Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers and Charles Melton for May-December. Um, with New York Film Critics Circle, uh, plus the two big tribute honors uh, from the Gotham Awards for Killers of the Flower Moon, I think it's also worth noting that these are two New York City-centric awards bodies. But what should we take yes. from this that Killers of the Flower Moon is, is uh, getting lots of these honors? I mean, these critics groups like New York and LA, the two most important outside of critics choice, I think, uh, again, these groups tend to coincide with the Oscars, not necessarily influence them. Uh, I think that what we can take from this is what these sort of highbrow critical lens, some of whom are also in the academy, not the critics themselves, mm -hmm. but people who have the similar sort of academic approach to film uh we can sort of see what they're looking at and killers like i mean who didn't see that coming but lily gladstone is also uh creeping up in a very well not even creeping up she's storming in a very big way she is on our scoreboard the leader for best actress right now technically on stats alone so um so same with charles same with davine uh but then i mean you know franz Rogowski could be the you know, you know the new york and la film critics every year they have their winners <laughs> that just don't go anywhere. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking of Tiffany Haddish for yeah. uh, Girls Trip. I mean, she was getting such huge buzz for that one at the New York Film Critics and then didn't go anywhere. Also, I mean, got to mention Lady Gaga for House of Gucci. Well, one at the New York Film Critics and then uh, didn't go anywhere Indeed. with Oscars. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Lily, it's interesting because there was a time where I was I was starting to get worried about if she was going to be overlooked uh, for this film. Uh, but it seems like that is not going to be the case now. Um, uh, yeah, I don't yeah, think so yeah, at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the British Independent Film Awards also revealed its honorees. All of us strangers took home seven wins. I'm kind of not really surprised, yes, but uh, best film director yeah. and screenplay for Andrew Haig, supporting actor for Paul Meskel, uh, as well as cinematography, editing and music supervision. No Andrew Scott, though. Mm. yeah it's weird because it seems like paul is showing up and then andrew's yeah, not yeah, showing up and then like at the spirit, the andrew shows up yeah. and paul doesn't show up also wait oh my god speaking of not showing up we have to talk about how the spirits uh went crazy for may december and then left off julianne Moore. oh i, I meant to mention <laughs> that too yeah yeah it's it's odd it makes no sense yeah i don't get it i this is going to be it's going to be an odd season um, like it's going to, we're going to yeah. be kept on our toes a bit, methinks. Um, yes. yeah, but uh, do you think those, you mean um, Toth? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Toth. Um, do you think the, <laughs> <Our toth. laughs> like Julian, um, do you think the, uh, British independent film awards will, will those all that seven wins for all of us strangers, do you think that's going to boost that film? I'm sitting here with my fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah, it can only it can only help. I mean, you have the British sector of the Academy is definitely growing. Yeah. And you have a lot of them paying attention to more local um uh <laughs> another gaga reference about the locals um <laughs> uh you know paying attention to what's going on in the region and yeah. bifa is definitely something that uh locals get excited mm -hmm. about so yep. yeah i think it can only it can only help it yeah uh and lastly here i'll mention santa barbara film festival has announced the rest of its virtuoso awards daniel brooks for the color purple coleman domingo for yes. both the color purple and rustin america ferrera for barbie and there he is again andrew Ooh. scott for all of us strangers Ooh. yep 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 America. I, I I was going to try to blow past it because I knew you'd say something. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I, it's I I think it's wild that we're seeing a monologue get. I mean, I mean isn't I, that what Judy Dench won for? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm that's what I'm saying. I think it was equally as wild yeah. then. Yeah, um, well, but fair. yeah, uh, yeah. I, I know. I'm, I know. I'm, There's a lot of. Well, it's only one. Yeah, that's it's only true. one. There's a lot of passion. And for I'm that. not. Yes. 
And I'm not going to in any way take anything away from America Ferreira. If she gets a nomination, I will be thrilled. I just yeah. think from a statistical and also analytical right. standpoint, I just I it's it's not making sense to me right now. That's fair. Um, and by the way, there are some other movies still to come this year that are uh, that they're looking for some love. I don't know if they're going to get it. Wonka starring Timothy Chalamet as a young Ugh. Willy Wonka. There's the Iron Claw, which is the true story of the wrestling Von Erich brothers. George Clooney's true sports drama, The Boys in the Boat, and then the animated feature Migration, uh, which is about uh, a bunch of ducks that aren't named Donald or Daisy. Um, Wonka, of wow. course, being a musical, it has a bunch of original songs, not to mention, I mean, it's it's production design, uh, costumes, all that jazz. Uh, Zach Efron's getting some pretty strong reviews for his work in Iron Claw, and I'm seeing him climb mm. some odds charts. But which of these do you think really stands the best chance at a late surge? Well, Jared, thank you again for asking me about my list that Shut I provided <laughs> for this. Um, hmm. Uh, I I mean, Wonka, yeah, technicals, costumes, uh, production design, probably. Yeah. Uh, judging, I mean, I think this is one movie that social media has maybe at least already killed any sort of serious critical attention mm. uh, based on the trailers alone but migration is an interesting one because it I, I think a lot of people this narrative is sort of surrounding disney and the sort of wish and uh other box office flops that disney had mm-hmm. this year it's i think we're also seeing it shift to illumination and universal i mean migration i, I believe i read somewhere that it's tracking worse than wish mm. so it's tracking for a very low opening already i just don't know what the hell is going on with these sort of tentpole movies that used to be very it's, reliable things. My theory, and it's just it's too expensive yeah. to take kids and a, bu- a bunch of kids and families to theaters right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could very well be it. I mean, I went to see wish over the mm. Thanksgiving uh, holiday and it just, there, there was Not nobody many. in the mm. theater. And usually like, you know, I remember the day after Thanksgiving going to oh, movies gosh, with yeah. my dad and my brother when I was little and the theaters were packed yep. and just, there was wish if it was released in 2005 would mm. have been a, you know, $70 million opening movie. And it's, it'll be lucky to scratch that even close to that. in it's final, you know, domestic tally here. So I just don't know what's going on. But again, want to call out the upcoming films. Well, I guess Eileen is already in theaters and 1001 has already been uh, available digitally for a while. But definitely need to pay attention to both of those two in addition to the uh, aforementioned ones that I listed and you so beautifully read, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, of course, you're very welcome. Uh, And (laughs) lastly here in news that I'm calling, who doesn't love that? Uh, The Academy and ABC announced late last week that the 2024 Oscars will start an hour earlier at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. The red carpet pre-show will kick off a half hour prior. Uh, So now basically it should be done by like 1030 Eastern. I mean, yes, please. Well, um, wait, do you, you don't think it's giving them permission to like go longer? Do you? I think I think everybody in the back of their head is going to be like, eh, oh, no, the time now. either that or I, I mean, I think that because the, the plan is always to, to air um, a new episode. Is it of Abbott Elementary right after? So I feel like they're trying oh. to give themselves like a work toward this. Yeah. Be done by this certain time. I don't know. Yeah, but, to fit within the sort of prime time yeah. hours. But I, I mean, look, my favorite part is always the the local news afterwards <laughs> yeah. that's like trying to like after every single event they're like hanging on uh-huh. at like 11 30 p.m they're like well the oscars yeah. are done they're out on the carpet where it's... they're just like people are leaving <laughs> so they're like there's somebody nope it's nobody it's so it's so funny to me um anyway we got to take a quick break but when we come back i forgot to say this earlier uh our guest on today's show it's poor things writer and director Yorgos Lanthimos. <gasps> yeah. All right, folks, the awardist will be right back. Welcome back to the awardist. Yorgos Lanthimos has seven feature films to his credit, and of those, three have received Oscar nominations, Dogtooth, La Lobster, and The Favorite. His eighth movie, Poor Things, is very likely to score several as well. 
and it is classic Lanthimos, weird, wonderful, and wholly unique. Set in the 19th century, it centers on Bella Baxter, whose body is that of an adult woman, played by Emma Stone, who took her own life, but her mind is that of a baby. So Bella has to relearn many things about life under the guidance of her creator, played by Willem Dafoe. But she is eager to learn more about the world and even herself, so she runs off with a sleazy lawyer, played by Mark Ruffalo. That is the short of it, but here EW's Christian Holub speaks at length with Yorgos Lanthimos about the making of poor things. Thank you, Yorgos, for joining us. Thank you. I know that poor things is based on uh, the novel of the same name by Alice Dare Gray. So I wanted to start by asking what kind of first uh, piqued your interest about the novel and, and what about it kind of made sense um, as your newest film, as your follow-up to The Favourite? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I was immediately intrigued by the the main character, Bella Baxter, as soon as I read the novel. Uh, but also, of course, you know, the story itself, uh, the themes, the, the tone of the novel, the humour in it, uh, the world, uh, the very unique world that it created. Um, it was all very, very intriguing, and I... Um, I immediately uh, checked whether it has uh, had already been made into a film, and it was. I was very surprised to learn that it hadn't. Um, so I sought to meet uh, Alistair Gray immediately, and I went to Glasgow and met him, uh, and uh, yeah, got his blessing to to make the film. But that was uh, around twelve years ago or something. Mm. Um, and it took us, you know, this long to get to make the film. So um, it wasn't like a decision that I, I, it would be the next film after the favorite necessarily just happened. So that uh, that this was the time that we were able to to make the film. Although I've been wanting to make it for a while. The having poor things, this story, this character Bella Baxter, um, kind of bouncing around your head for a couple years. Um, what made Emma Stone kind of the perfect choice to uh, team with to to bring this character to life? Well, we did uh, the favor together, and it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, we had started writing the script uh, for Poor Things with Tony McNamara, who we also wrote the favorite with. Um, so it was kind of a natural continuation of our relationship because we. You know, we had such fun doing the favorite, and we we liked working together. And you know, Emma is a very, apart from being a great actress, is a very you know unique presence uh, overall. Uh, and as soon as I mentioned the story to her, she was uh, immediately excited and just wanted to know everything about the world, and you know, read the script and. I started discussing, you know, who else was going to work on it, how we're mm-hmm. going to uh, film it, like other actors. You know, she she just became very fascinated with uh, every aspect of the film. So that's also how she ended up being a producer on the film because she was on board so early on uh, and involved in every aspect of it that, you know, it was inevitable that, you know, she she took that role on as well. Perhaps maybe unlike The Favourite, where you kind of have these three lead actresses who are kind of all all splitting the drama amongst themselves, uh, this movie is really built around Emma's performance and and the character of Bella. Um, How did you kind of slot in those other pieces and and build out the rest of the cast and uh, the rest of the team around her? Well, I mean, it it, it was, uh, you know, the, the script was a very good guide uh, and we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we worked on it for a long time and we did have quite a bit of time uh, preparing the film because also we started before the, the pandemic and we had to pause and then start again. So um, in terms of, you know, the rest of the cast, it was just mainly people that I really admired and wanted to work with and i would i just tried mm-hmm. to you know see where they would fit in, in in the story uh and generally that's you know it's very often that i i you know i think that way and i cast 
films this way that I, you know, it's not necessarily how you had imagined the characters or how you have described them. You know, on the page mm-hmm. is more about like people that excite you, people that you find um, interesting and unique and uh, want to work with and, you know, good people after you've worked with them and you see that you get along and you you love the same things and you you, you know you can basically um, uh, communicate without even speaking too much about things so yeah the 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 rest of the you know of the cast were people that i really wanted to work with and i think every character was you know quite specific and um uh, kind of standing out from 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 the rest um and it, it worked wonderfully because we had a few weeks of rehearsals before we started filming and we the actors really bonded and you know got to know mm. each other and you know had fun you know prepping for for the film um and then it was a big um task to design the world of the film as well so also the the heads of other departments you know were very important in that journey and how we built this world so the production design team was assembled you know very early on as i as i said we started before the pandemic and we did research and some you know partly designed the world and then we had to stand down but in in some ways that was beneficial because we had time to you know look at things from a distance and rethink certain things or think further or come up with more ideas you know time that you don't necessarily have when you know in normal times uh so we 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 tried to make this you know um a, as an asset the, the the time that we had uh and the same with costume design Holly was, you know, on board early on, and she also had the time before and after the pandemic. And um, Robbie Ryan, that I, I worked with, the DP that I worked with before in the favor, we had developed kind of a shorthand. Uh, so that was great. Um, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it, it was a big, you know, project. It was, I haven't made uh, a film of that scale before and you know the extra time kind of helped um you know think things through and design the world more thoroughly and i and i'm glad you guys were able to use kind of that that time off from the pandemic and the lockdown to kind of think even deeper about the movie uh when i was talking to the production designers uh James Price and and Shona Heath they were talking about how you know this movie is all kind of built on sets, kind of almost like an old school Hollywood uh, studio movie. Uh, what did you like about about taking that approach and and looking back to that kind of uh, older era of Hollywood movies? Yeah, well, I, I, as soon as I, I read the, the novel, I felt that, you know, whenever I made it, if I managed to make it, I we would have to build the world, um, mm-hmm. mostly according to Bella's, uh point of view like her unique way of seeing things should somehow uh, be represented in you know the 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 appearance of of this world that we created uh so from the beginning i thought that we should you know build everything even exteriors uh build everything in a studio so we had the total control of how everything looked um and then it was just a you know a, a preference of you know how you do that like using you know very old school techniques and aesthetic uh paired with you know the technology that we now have available seemed like the best way i mean i i'm i'm not really fond of you know how complete uh cgi created films look necessarily so the yeah you know the the tactility of the world and you know making everything and even if we used technology to compose it certain things like every element would be almost handmade or painted uh created shot beforehand like using 
from miniatures to painted backdrops to you know to the sets that we created uh mm-hmm. was you know very very important in the in the in creating the texture of the film uh that i always prefer to be more organic and tactile i wanted to as you say this is kind of about portraying um bella's point of view of the how she's experiencing the world um i wanted to ask about kind of bella's appearance too um holly and uh nadia um from makeup were kind of saying that her look, especially that kind of long, straight, dark hair, which is so different from Emma's usual look, um, was kind of specifically inspired by this old French kind of painting or, or drawing you guys found? Yeah, I mean, we, we looked at a few paintings, but also photographs of the era. But it was, mm. you know, the, the photographs, women actually did have, you know, long hair like that, but they never wore them outside uh like like that they were never free and uh they always were up and done in in some way but we we looked at these pictures with these women in their you know 90s or whatever where they had their left their hair you know uh free and we were very you know it, it was a very a few very um impressive images and we just felt that you know it kind of uh, fitted with the whole idea of Bella being, you know, freer and um, having this characteristic that, you know, she's growing so fast and her hair is growing so fast, and uh, it just it just felt right uh, for her. Uh, and then, you know, it was also about the way she was going to be dressed. That you know, she had all these beautiful clothes made for her, but she never really you know, put them together properly and she would always, you know, either forget to wear something or just, you know, take it off immediately. And then you'd see her, you know, uh, with not complete outfits, you know, most of the time, uh, which was also, you know, fun to do and, uh, and discover basically, because you have, you haven't really seen anyone in a period film looking like that. Yeah. You're kind of almost, um, probing the kind of structures or aesthetic almost of the Victorian era, right? Because we think of this kind of time as a, as a, and the fashion of the time in particular, um, as everything being very proper and structured in a certain way. But because, you know, this is Bella's point of view, and she kind of has this unique perspective on the world, um, stuff that doesn't make like kind of logical sense to her, she'll just dispense with. Exactly. Yeah. And also we're looking at, you know, the Victorian, you know, fashion and shapes and structures and, but also uh, juxtaposing that to very modern references. Like we would also look pictures, you know, from very uh, contemporary clothing that would, you know, maybe reference uh, Mm. older period uh, designs and, you know, or or the textures from you know modern clothes and fabrics and you know all these kind of things that we try to integrate in in that approach. And one thing Holly said that that I thought was really interesting is that um, you know one kind of major aspect of Victorian clothing that um, Bella never wears uh, is a corset, and yeah. we n- we never see her kind of wear that. Um, that reminds me of. Um, you know this really this, this this element this visual element that I really like in the favorite, um, where the the women the actresses in that movie um, aren't wearing any makeup or barely are wearing any makeup, whereas the male characters are wearing a ton of makeup. Um, yeah. And so I'm just interested in kind of these decisions you make that maybe sometimes um, go against our notions of these times or our notions of period pieces, um, but are accurate to what the characters would be doing. Yeah. Well, I mean that that also has to do with my you know general preference of not yeah. using makeup when you know when the character is not supposed to be wearing makeup. So that's mm-hmm. you know one aspect of it. And um, you know Bella certainly you know wasn't going to wear makeup unless you know she, she does so in the brothel in a in quite a funny way as well. Like she doesn't really know how to do it, so it's like over the top and. Um, 
and I just I just love how people look, you know, without makeup in general, uh, and um, you know, to be able to see the texture of the skin and you know whatever is considered an imperfection, which to me is like just uh, you know a beautiful detail on someone's face or body, um, and um, and also you know some of it is actually true. I mean, both in the favorite, um, it is kind of true that men you know in that period used to be much more made up in in a certain way uh, than women and you'd see paintings of the women being very natural and and men you know with their makeup and big wigs and you know all the that sort of thing which you know we we just tr we basically enhanced uh in our version uh like with everything else and you know in 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 uh, in poor things like someone like um Mark Raffalo's character, Duncan, you know, does wear a little bit of makeup or is sometimes much more made up than, you know, that Bella would ever be. Uh, and that's kind of true to, to you know, to the characters uh, as well. So it's it's kind of realistic in a certain way. In our, you know, viewpoint, um, you could say that it's you know, just a realistic approach. <laughs> but you were, you were saying kind of earlier, um, that maybe one of the reasons that it that it took you a little while to uh, make poor things after you you first kind of experienced the novel um, is is its scale and kind of how big of a production it was. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, what did you kind of learn on your past films, whether it's the favorite or the lobster, even back to Dogtooth, that um, really helped you in kind of bringing this. Uh, massive project to life how does it kind of build on your past work um or how much of it was totally new to you yeah well i mean we'd never made a film uh on a set before uh or even you know a litter film before with artificial <laughs> lighting uh so that was all very new to me uh and but I, it was, you know, a very um, conscious decision to make this film this way. But at the same time, I think what we try to do is, you know, use, you know, the things that we we learned and liked from the from all these years of making the other films. From you know, starting from the Greek films, that it was, you know, out of necessity mainly that you didn't have any, you know, structure or production to support. You know, lighting, makeup, uh, sets, you know, whatever that may be, uh, it was impossible even if you did want to uh, do something like that. So we learned how to work with, you know, very little, very little. So uh, that's limiting in, 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 in some ways, but also very freeing in others. And it allowed, it allowed us to be, um, you know, confident to to not require you know too much to achieve something um but also you know to appreciate how things looked you know when we didn't light things when we didn't have you know someone doing makeup and hair for the actors every take or every scene or anything like that so i i got to to learn to appreciate both the uh, the process, which you know, which was much was much quicker and um, and flexible and spontaneous, you know, filming without all of these, you know, uh, equipment and gear and people around, you know, uh, the actors and not not many people around on on set, and kind of bring that to larger scale films as much as that, as that was possible. Um, and the poor things was, you know, kind of the, you know, the ultimate, um, uh, manifestation of that. Cause we, we did build all these huge sets and we had to light them, but what we decided to do, you know, with Robbie Ryan as well was that we would try and treat them the same way that we did when we, you know, shot the favorite on location, for example, where we didn't have any artificial lighting and we just, you know, used the natural light from the windows and just shot, you know, on location. We would treat those sets as locations, light them from outside as, you know, a natural location would be lit from, you know, natural light. 
uh, light them, and then when we were on set, then we don't have anything else. We don't have any other equipment other than the camera and sound and the actors, and just be as free filming as we were when we were on location with you know with natural light. So, and that worked quite well, and especially during you know we had to film a lot of you know, intimate scenes in the brothel and, you know, with all these actors that were coming in for a few hours. And uh, that created a very intimate atmosphere where it's just like, you know, three people in a room, uh, just the actors, Robbie operating the camera himself and, um, you know, just Haley, the AD, and just, you know, just keep filming. Sometimes we didn't even have sound, like we would, you know, set up the mics uh, and you know, we, we didn't have a person to do, to be doing sound. So it was, you know, in this huge set, such an intimate, uh, space and atmosphere that would totally reminded us of, you know, the way we worked before. And then you would go out and see all these, you know, hundreds of people around and lights and trucks and you yeah. know, all these, all these things that you need to you know, create the world. But, you know, when you're filming it, you could create this very, you know, intimate atmosphere, which was, you know, great, a great experience, and especially for the actors as well. And I guess since the film does spend um, a decent chunk of its time in the brothel, and there are all these various um, sex scenes, um, how did you kind of approach that uh, with the actors? Do you use intimacy coordinators or, or things like that to... Um, you know, make sure that everybody's comfortable in, in those scenes? How do you approach those? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we worked with Elle McAlpin, who's a wonderful intimacy coordinator, and it was mm -hmm. extremely helpful. And to be honest, like both because, uh, you know, uh, Emma and I are, you know, know each other quite well by now, and we feel comfortable mm -hmm. and trust each other very much. We're like, I don't know if we'll need someone. Okay, let's just have someone there for safety and all that. But, you know, even so, we we realized that it was, you know, on, on the day, it was so helpful to have someone like that, someone who knows, you know, how to do these things and, like, be very uh, uh, sensitive about everyone and everything that's going to happen and making sure that everyone feels comfortable and... But even also, you know, practically helping us with certain things, how they work, how they look on camera, like, it, you know, we don't necessarily have this experience. And, you know, yeah. she was there to help us out all, you know, in, in every which way. And especially, you know, Mark and, and Emma, which were, you know, very comfortable again with each other. They got to know each other really well through her households. And, you know, that was relatively easy. But you know, the, as you mentioned, the brothel scenes, for example, would have, you know, actors coming in, you know, for one day, like only for a few hours each day. So we didn't get a chance to get to know them so well. And so having someone who would prepare them and, you know, bring them in and, you know, uh, um, communicate to them the right, you know, tone and atmosphere was extremely helpful so i yeah i didn't know what we would have done you know without her i mean it, it just made everything you know um so much easier and you know more creative in a way like we were able to do things you know that looked better basically and um uh, with and the addition of what i described before just creating this very intimate set you know with very few people like the absolute necessary people was also uh, key. I'd be interested in, in hearing you talk kind of about um, how sex kind of factors into this story and, and Bella's experience of sex. There's almost kind of an interesting thing where the broth when the brothel um, comes into the film, where it's like, oh, maybe you've seen this before in, in Victorian era stories, where this woman who's down on her luck um, kind of has to work in a brothel to survive or whatever. Um, but for Bella, you know, there's a kind of running thing in the film that sex is a very liberatory experience for her. And even through her experience in the brothel and the other characters she connects with that um, allows her to further her own education and, and things like that. Um, yeah, what, what was interesting to you guys about kind of Bella's exploration of, of sex? 
Yeah. Well, you put it really well. I mean, it's, um, you know, sex, you know, for her is like everything else. Every other experience she has, has, you know, in in this journey uh, that Mm -hmm. she takes. It's like food and it's like, um, you know, reading books and seeing different places and meeting different people and, you know, uh, having all these different feelings and because she has no shame and she's not conditioned in a certain way, like everything she experiences, sometimes she goes, you know, overboard and she realizes that too, what it means to, what excess means, what, you know, uh, she discovers all different uh, feelings about everything. So sex was, you know, I think is a very elemental, you know, aspect of, you know, human uh, condition, you know, and experience, and it couldn't be. We we didn't want to shy away from it, and also it was very important in in the novel it st- itself to start with. So we mm. we certainly wanted to create this character that was you know free in every way, and you know she's experiencing you know sex the same way, and it's not necessarily. I mean, it, there is an aspect of her like getting by, you know, by working, but she doesn't see it as something which, you know, uh, imprisons her or um, right. she, she sees it as a positive, as another positive experience to learn from. And, you know, as, as soon as she realizes that she has nothing more to gain from it, she just moves on like, she, like yeah. she's done, you know, with the rest of her journey. Zooming out again a little bit. Um, talking about your journey to this film, um, you know, the favorite and this back to back are both kind of period pieces, uh, explorations of the past. Um, What's interesting to you about exploring the past and kind of bringing, you know, maybe does it feel like you were kind of honing your perspective on, on the world as an artist in your early films that are a little more set in the present day? and then bringing them into um, these past eras or, or just what's kind of fascinating to you about, about these period yeah. pieces? Well, I mean, I didn't necessarily plan to make these two films back to back. As I mentioned before, like, you know, Poor Things was something I wanted to make for a while. And also the favorite took some time to, to put together. Um, so it kind of just happened. Uh, but of course, you know, it is fascinating. Uh, I think, I guess there are many reasons. One of it is that you create these worlds uh, and, you know, there's there's some kind of distance um, because of, you know, how they look and, you know, how people behaved. And um, there's there's all these codes that are slightly different, but very familiar to us at the same time which I think mm-hmm. allows us to, you know, to observe, you know, the the most important aspects of the story and the characters, you know, in a more um, thorough and um, uh, satisfying way uh, than maybe sometimes you can do um, in contemporary uh, films or stories where things feel a little bit more closer to you and maybe you know you don't have the necessary uh distance and point of view to understand things you know but having said that we you know we have already shot another film uh that you know is a contemporary film uh, and we wanted to go but like you always have this you know desire whenever you you know explore something in one way then you know you feel the need to uh, do something different. So we've, you know, we've already uh, shot a film uh, that Emma is in again, and Willem again, and Margaret Qualley again. Yeah, which is v- very different to this film. So I think, you know, when you know, if you ask me <laughs> in a year about that film, you know, there's there's going to be you know a very different you know aspect of it, which you know I find uh, fascinating. Uh, and there are certain stories I think that just make sense uh, to explore them, you know, in a contemporary setting, and others that you know you feel you can reveal more if you're, you know, creating this world 
you know, in a period setting with those kind of rules uh, and visuals. Well, it sounds like you and Emma are having a very kind of fruitful collaboration here if if you're making kind of three movies in a row. Yeah, four actually, because we've done this uh, silent short film uh, <laughs> for the Greek National Opera and Neon Organization, which is an art uh, foundation, uh, which is a silent film that is only shown with uh, live orchestra. Uh, which we presented uh, first in the Greek National Opera like a year ago. And this year at the New York Film Festival, we showed it again with the live orchestra there. So that's our, yeah, our fourth film together. Um, So, yeah, it's, yeah, I think we're, you know, we're getting along (laughs) pretty well. (laughs) Hopefully this this doesn't sound like too simple of a question, but... um, what do you kind of admire about her as an actress or, or what do you um, like about her as a collaborator? Like you said, she's a producer on poor things as well as the star. Well, it's not a simple question. It's a very, you know, complicated answer (laughs) or, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's a simple answer. It's like what I said, like we, you know, we get along and, you know, as a, as I said before, I admire her as an actress and that's obviously a given. And I think she has such a unique presence and is, you know, able to um, kind of modify that very unique presence according to, you know, the story and the character. Um, and again, like having someone that you can, you know, just do things without having to, you know, explain too much and like you can grunt and she gets it and you know, you just look each other in the eye and know what's the next step and, you know, just, uh, you know, admiring them and, you know, getting to be excited about every new idea, like, you know, just, just wanting to dream about, you know, the next thing, you know, with someone is, you know, very, um, very exciting and very, uh, gives you a lot of uh, incentives, you know, to just keep going and and trying new things. And also the trust, you know, like to trust someone like that and uh, to know that they have your back and, you know, no matter what goes on, you know, it's, I think there's very, I guess it was a long answer, not a complicated one, but it's like, (laughs) there's so, there's so many, you know, different aspects of such a relationship that, you know, feel, um, satisfying, um, and mm-hmm. you just want to keep doing it, and you don't want to uh, risk uh, of working with someone with someone that you wouldn't have all of these things. Um, and uh, you know, and it's not; it hasn't been you know boring for us. I guess you know maybe so- at some point we might go like, okay, let's just you know do something. <laughs> you know uh different and let's just work with someone else or you know we'll just keep doing this i mean i don't know like we um for the time being we just seem to have like this you know role going and we don't want to interrupt it this movie poor things you know there are scenes that are in full lush color and there are also a lot of scenes that are in black and white i think sometimes maybe audiences think of black and white just as um belonging to old movies or, or representing the past or, or something like that. Um, but how do you kind of use the black and white and the contrast between black and white and color filmmaking as, as kind of tools in this movie? Well, well it started just by, you know, uh, doing, you know, some tests for the film stocks. And in the beginning, we were actually supposed to only shoot, you know, like very small parts of it in black and white, some of the flashbacks. But then we, as we were testing the various stock, film stocks that we were going to shoot, it, it, you know, black and white was so beautiful that, you know, I started thinking, oh, it's a shame we're only going to shoot you know, so little uh, of it. And then it it dawned on me that it might be interesting to just show, you know, the the first part of the story, which is her. Uh, in the house that she hasn't really started experiencing the world outside uh, and she hasn't started uh, her journey uh, that it would be interesting to uh, see that world in black and white 
and of course, you know, it also because it is a period film of sorts, <laughs> it does mm-hmm. reference, you know, you know, the period and visuals of the period, and also because you know the novel itself um, uh, is something that has built on the you know Frankenstein genre and. You know, a lot of those films are, you know, quintessential films are in black and white. And it just all felt right and just beautiful. Uh, And also the fact that after she went into her journey, you know, the world all of a sudden would would seem so much, you know, uh, more, you know, alive and uh, and different. And the contrast between, you know, her first experience and the, the rest of the experience and also the fact that when she returns back to her house, you get to see it also in color, uh, and you see it in a different way. So you get to see the same places in, in both in color and black and white. I think all of these, you know, for all of these reasons, it just felt, you know, right that we would use uh, black and white for a portion of the film. Totally, and that kind of uh, ends up paralleling the general structure of the story, which by the end, Bella kind of circles back around to her old life and her old husband. But now that she's been on this journey of self-discovery, um, you know, she can no longer kind of be contained by him or or this world. Exactly. Yeah. I know that this, uh, you know, we were talking, this took years uh, of thinking and planning and, and even production. Um, you know, are, are, what are you maybe kind of, proudest of or are you happy to have kind of finally put it out there for people to see well i have to say i'm proudest you know for for the for the actors and especially emma and you know of course you know all of the world building and you know and all the visuals and everything we created is you know very unique and and very important to tell the story but you know without her like without her performance and without the you know the other actors around her uh you know so really supporting that not i don't and i don't mean that as a um i i mean like they created these very uh beautiful complex characters around her and that what brings you know even more uh her uh performance and character um uh out and you know uh, making it stand out um i think yeah i think i'm i'm really i'm i think i'm really lucky that i got to work with these actors and you know especially emma i think she's just incredible and to be honest like it 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 worked the you know the script worked great on page but it was quite you know uh scary (laughs) how someone mm-hmm. would actually be able to bring that character to life. Uh, and I couldn't think of a better way, you know, like of a better person to do that. And she did it, you know, uh, just uh, beautifully and, you know, in ways that I could have never, you know, imagined. So, yeah, I, I think most I'm most happy about that and proud of them. Well, it's a really wonderful film and, and I've been looking forward to it for a while. I was really excited to see it and I'm excited for the rest of the world to see it soon. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to let me pick your brain and, and talk through all these different aspects of the movie. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So the thing I think it is all safe for us to say here, Joey, is that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is kind of one of those like once in a lifetime directors. You know it is a Yorgos film. You know it's going to be... Yeah. Uh, eccentric and weird in the best ways possible. But Emma Stone, I got to say here, this I think is like a career, uh, a career defining performance for her. Oh, yes, absolutely. At least critically. I just hope that people go see it and it becomes that into the sort of pop cultural ether of, of, you know, being a performance that is synonymous with her outside of these academic and critical circles because it is so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And and they will get a chance to see that starting tomorrow. Poor things. Uh, that's when it hits theaters. Um, all right. Well, Joey, that is it for this week's episode of The Awardist. Thanks for being here. 
Thank you so much. And we got through another episode again without stumping for Carrie Mulligan and Saltburn. So oh. I'm just going to put that out there for the FYC. SAG, if you're listening. Yeah, right. Voting starts very soon. Um, all right, folks. Well, thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We are at EW on X, formerly known as Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week and every day at EW.com. Bye. This episode of The Awardist is hosted and produced by Jared Hall and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.